that his Bible is missing and somebody might have picked it up from the post and beam room. Probably is black. Um, so if you have a black Bible and you look in the inside and it does not say your name, uh, get that to Gary, alright? Uh, he's missing his Bible. Alright, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10. We're coming to the end of this part of the book of Hebrews, really chapter 8 through 10, where the writer has talked about a new and living way. A new and living way. And, um, and we're going to look at verses uh, 19 through 23 this morning. A very precious passage here about entering in uh, into the fellowship that God has prepared for us through the person of Jesus Christ. When I was a junior in college, I had a uh, a, a roommate who is still one of my best friends. His name is Peter Nassen, and his parents are missionaries to, to China. And because of that, Peter had a lot of frequent flyer miles that had been saved up. And uh, Peter had uh, no place to go as his parents were in China for Thanksgiving, and he was going to stay at the school. But he's, his frequent flyer miles were going to expire soon, and he asked if I might be interested in using them. <clears throat> and so uh, <coughs> I did. And I booked a ticket to fly back to my parents in, in, in Brooklyn, New York, and, but didn't tell them anything about it. So I was at college there the, the fall semester, and I was not scheduled to see my parents, of course, again until Christmas break. And I worked out the details, and I flew in the JFK, and I took the A train, the uh, subway train, to uh, Atlantic Station in Brooklyn, and then I took the Atlantic Station train, and the, it was back then, it was the Q train, uh, down to the stop by my parents' house, Sheepshead Bay, and I walked about the one and a half blocks from the, from the train station to my parents' house and knocked on the door. And, uh, and and walked in. I don't know why I walked on, knocked on the door. I kind of, guess I kind of felt like a stranger and outsider. It was my house. Uh, but walked in the door, and I could see, looking down the hallway there, my dad was sitting at his desk, and he was on the phone with a friend of his, Craig Hartman. And my mom was in the kitchen. It was about supper time. And I walked in the door, and my dad kind of looked up like that. And <laughs> he did a double take, and he said, Craig, i got to call you back. Jamie's here. And um, their first response was, what did you do? Did you get kicked out of Bible college uh, there? But um, <clears throat> uh, they were glad to see me when I explained that wasn't the case. And they had a chance to have Thanksgiving dinner together, um, which uh, doesn't happen when you're at school in Wisconsin very often. And that was a special time. This Thanksgiving... Um, it will be the first Thanksgiving that I will not have Thanksgiving with my family. I was with Don Champion uh, Friday evening and Linda, and we uh, booked airline tickets for the trip to Myanmar here, and it looks like that I will not be back for Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It's a special holiday to me. And perhaps you remember some of your traditions in Thanksgiving. Uh, your, your mom's coming in from shopping, getting all the groceries that are necessary to prepare that Thanksgiving dinner, carrying in all the bags of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, turkey and stuffing and etc. there, and maybe you helping to get the rest from the car. Um, <clears throat> just a lot of food. I mean, it seems like you're making trips back and forth to the car to unload it back into the um, 
into the house. Maybe there had been telephone calls made that week to invite family members over. Gene Monroe, you have pie night, right? So that's always a, a big a big thing. The night before Thanksgiving is that's what it is, right? And and all kinds of family and friends come over for pie night before Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the phone calls, uh, enlisting your help to help tidy up the house, the dusting, the, the vacuuming, the, the setting the tables, the cutlery, etc. Um, and maybe, you're, maybe, if you can imagine your mind, being a little child in that and wondering what is going on. All this activity, um, talking about some kind of a dinner that's going to happen, people um, uh, coming over, the doorbell beginning to ring, one person after another coming to a house. Uh, the shopping, the phone calls, the dusting, the cleaning. I've been getting ready for a, a celebration. and Friends and neighbors have been invited. Everything's prepared. And then it begins. And you see where all had been going. All that preparation, uh, all the phone calls, all the shopping. And here it is, Thanksgiving dinner. And you're sitting around the table with all the food prepared with all your friends and family. And that's the setting here for the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. God, for thousands of years, had been setting the table. He had been making the invites. He had been preparing. He had been getting the materials necessary. And He had delivered the person of His Son, who 33 years gave us a perfect life. Born of a virgin. Falsely accused and died on the cross. For the sins of the world. And on the basis of that, the writer of Hebrews says, Come to the feast. Come to the party. Come enjoy Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. He says, Having therefore brethren... On the basis of this, because of what you have, because of what has been already explicitly articulated in chapter 9 and chapter 10 about the single sacrifice of Jesus. On that basis, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest, the most privileged place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. It says, welcome, welcome, come in. The first thing I'd like you to see this morning is that there is a precious There is a precious price that has enabled this to happen. The the currency has been shelled out to purchase everything that is necessary for this feast of knowing Jesus. And that price was not in paper currency. It was not in coinage. It was not even in precious metals. The price, Peter says, was the precious blood of Christ. The writer in verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The representation of His very life. His very life. 
The very life of Jesus given in exchange for your feast invitation. He's given to you. I paid for this invitation. Take it. Receive me. And enter into my fellowship. Enter into my joy. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 20. By a new and living way which he has consecrated, which he has set apart for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Remember, in the tabernacle, there was that, uh, there was that partitioned off place that was only allowed for the high priest to go, representing the people of Israel, one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And then in the temple, it was separated by a thick curtain. And you remember when Jesus died, that curtain, that veil, was rent in two, was torn in two from top to bottom. But yet, the writer of Hebrews pictures that for us, and he says... The veil that enabled us to enter into this new and living way was the body of Jesus torn on our behalf. You remember the night before Jesus died, he took that bread that represented his body and he broke it. He broke it. His body broken for us. Jesus is, is, is diff- the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus is different between the blood of, of, of beasts and, and bulls and goats that provided for, uh, pointed forward uh, to, to, the, to the Messiah's sacrifice, but was used in the Old Testament. That blood of bulls and goats would soon turn to decay. It couldn't retain its power. But the blood of Jesus Christ, representing the person of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is subject to no decay. The blood of Jesus Christ flows as a pure stream. It's sufficient for our salvation, even to the end of the world and for all eternity. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Those... The writer earlier has said that the the animal slain in sacrifice has no power to give life to those who did the sacrifices, as they themselves were dead. But Jesus Christ, who did die on the cross, rose again from the dead to give life to us. And he communicates, he shares his own life with us. So notice, there is a precious price in order to be able to enter into the holiest. Enter into fellowship, the privileged place of relationship, friendship with Jesus. Look what he says in verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God. See, Jesus wasn't only the sacrifice. Jesus was the one who offered the sacrifice. Jesus was the priest who offered the sacrifice of himself. And the word here says, an high priest over the house of God. He was a positioned priest. A positioned priest. The high priest. That word there in the original is actually the word great. The great priest. The one and only priest. And notice that it describes him as saying he is over the house of God. In the Old Testament... The privilege of entering the holiest places was never granted to the common Israelite and not even to the priest or the Levitical workers. It was only granted to the high priest and as I mentioned, one time a year. And the people were forbidden to enter the visible sanctuary there. 
But you know what the high priest had on his chest? On his chest, he had a breastplate. And on that breastplate were 12 precious stones. And each one of those 12 precious stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And that breastplate, those those, those 12 stones close to the high priest's heart, were with that priest as he would enter in to the holiest places, representing the people of Israel. So in a sense, uh, the people of Israel were with him as he went into the holiest places. There is a memorial on his chest. But now the case is very different, isn't it, with Jesus? In reality, Jesus is not bearing us on his chest. Jesus is taking us by our hands with him into the holiest place. The very presence of God. That's the new and living way. That's what makes us different. And he calls us royal or kingly priest through the favor of Christ. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 says, Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, I can come boldly by his sacrifice because he is my intercessor, my intermediary, my my mediator, my high priest, my go-between who represents me to God and God to me. I can go to him in a moment's notice. He is a positioned priest. Thirdly, he brings us to a privileged place. A privileged place. You'll see that in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. A new and living way, verse 20. He says in verse 22, let us draw near. It tells us something. You know, in the book of Hebrews, we one of the themes is certainly the theme of better. Jesus is better than the Old Testament system. He's better than the angels. But another major theme, and really what I think the whole point of the book is about, uh, that, that anchors the book, is the theme of draw near. Draw near. Draw near. You see, in the Old Testament days, they were urged to keep their distance, weren't they? In chapter 12 and verse 20, the writer uh, contrasts with what happened at the Mount, Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses and the, and, the, and, the, and the mountain shook and lightning flashed. And chapter 12 verse 20 says, For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But here we're told to come near. Come near to a holy God. A perfectly holy God. Because we have been brought into a new and living way. A way that is living because He died. But is alive forever. Chapter 7, verse 25. A way that was opened through the curtains of His flesh. He shed His blood so the approach of God would not be barred, but would be open to all. Through Christ's death, the way is no longer obscured, but it is opened. And again, let me remind you what He said in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. It means literally, since we have confidence. Since we have confidence. In view of what Christ has done, and in view of who He now is, there is no reason why all believers should not approach with confidence. 
that holy place isn't sealed off for the continual performance of sacrifices. It's wide open on the strength of a perfect sacrifice already made. And it's on the basis of these things that we have boldness to enter. An open invitation to enter the presence of God. In other words, folks, if you are in Christ, there is no reason for you to ever doubt that access is not granted to you to come to Jesus. The writer is clear. And he assumes, as you read verse 19, having therefore brethren boldness, he assumes it to be present in all true worshipers who have been washed in the blood of Jesus to walk in the new way. There is a privileged place. And finally, fourthly, there is a promised path. There is a promised path. It's on the basis of the gospel that God says, here is the way, now you can walk in it. You see, without Jesus, I could not walk in God's way. All we like sheep have gone our own way. We've turned everyone to our own way. But look what he says. By a new and living way, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Verse 22, let us draw near. There's a new and living way. Now, verse 22 tells us that this promised path is promised for those who have a true heart. Those who are sincerely saved. There's a genuineness to them. And I think he's referring back to what he promised in Jeremiah 31. That God will place his laws in our hearts and write them in our minds as his people here. A new covenant. Something happens to people when the new covenant opens up to include them in it. Something involving a new heart. A true heart. Not a stone heart. And the manner to which we are to draw near to God is with a sincere heart, a true heart, and a full assurance of faith. In other words, a heart that evidences complete trust and devotion. A new heart for God's people. A true heart, sincere, loyal, in contrast to chapter 3, verse 12. The evil, unbelieving heart. Full assurance of faith, conviction, certainty. Let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, washed, clean, cleansed, and our bodies washed with pure water. That last phrase there, our bodies washed with pure water, could refer to baptism, which represents the internal uh, truth that had happened. Our bodies washed with pure water. Understand that it's not baptism that enables this to happen, but it's the gospel that's happened inside of us, and baptism is a picture of that. Or it simply could be referring to what the writer in Ezekiel said, when he said the Spirit of God is going to sprinkle clean water on you. It's what Paul says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing. The Holy Spirit. That's what he's done to bring us to a new and living way. But do you notice what he says in verse 23? 
on the basis of what Jesus has done, let us hold fast? If Jesus is holding on to us, we can hold fast the confession of our faith, or the word is actually hope in the original. The confession of our hope without wavering. And that word hope, there has a future orientation to it, doesn't it? I hope for something in the future. That gives, a, that gives us a theme. It's, you see it in chapter 6. You see it in chapter 9, verse 28. In chapter uh, 11, you're going to see the, the, uh, the believers there, Old Testament saints, who fix their eyes on a future hope. Moses, who could esteem the reproach of Christ, being better than all the riches of Egypt. Abraham, who though his body was virtually physically dead, could yet look upon the hope of a promise of of, of many descendants and walk in faith in that. Abel, Noah, Rahab even, and many who, 11 verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. These all having obtained a good report through faith. Hope. You see, what your permanent reality in Jesus is the only thing that can get you through the day to day because it gives you a fixed, certain hope. My circumstances in life and my trials of life ebb and flow, don't they? And you may be at a season in life where your trials are at an ebb. Or they may be flowing. And you are in the heat of it. You're under tremendous pressure. But what does not change is the permanent reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who has placed you inside of Jesus. You know what this passage is really telling us? The draw nears, the come near, the, the, the boldness to enter in. You know what it's teaching us? It's teaching us the doctrine of the union of Christ. Which means this. I have been placed in Christ, and Christ has been placed in me. And the ramifications of that truth are tremendous and powerful. And therefore, that is where my security is. That's why it's called eternal security, because it will not change. Your growth in Christ changes, doesn't it? It should grow. If you're a true believer, your growth in Christ should have a trend, a general trend in growth, shouldn't it? The permanent reality of you being in Christ and Christ dwelling in you. You being made the very dwelling place, the Bible calls it you being the temple of God, your body and spirit being the temple of God. Is why the writer of Hebrews says, so walk in it. So enter in the fellowship. So know Jesus. So know Christ and Him crucified. So walk, with, walk in suffering because suffering is to bring you to a better knowledge of Jesus. is to purify your faith. That doesn't mean it's fun. That doesn't mean you're like it. But that's why the Bible says you can count it all joy. Because you're growing in the Christ. And that's why in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, 
Seeing all these believers who walk before us through trials, through suffering, but fix their eyes on a future certain hope. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with endurance. Hold fast the race that is set before us. And why can we do that? Because we have a future hope. Looking into Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You know what this is telling us? It's telling us it's okay to look back. As as long as you're not looking back on your failures and looking back at what Jesus did in success. And it's telling us to focus our eyes on looking ahead to the future coming of the Lord. So our worship has to be accompanied here by a firm grip on our confession of hope. The hope that looks forward eagerly to what God is finally going to do for us on the basis of what He has already done for us. When He brings us into full fellowship with Him in eternity. And the hope that we confess is your badge of identity. The world walks around us with all kinds of different badges of identity, right? They try to label themselves with disorders. Right? Or they label themselves about what something's happened in their past. Or they label themselves and measure themselves by their accomplishments in this world. Your badge of identity, believers, brothers and sisters, is your identity in Christ and nothing else. Sure, you may have accomplishments. Sure, you have things that influence you and have been very difficult things and we don't want to demean those. But they pale in comparison with the badge that Jesus has stamped on you. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. You know what that enables you to do? That enables you to get through tomorrow and the rest of the week. Because that's the thing that doesn't change. And anytime I base my identity on things that change, guess what? I'm building on shifting sand. But Jesus said, build your house on the rock. And that rock is Christ. So I don't have to be insecure. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be jealous. I don't have to have fear motivating me. I can have love and wonder at what Jesus has done for me be my motivation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ motivates me, constrains me. And that's because of a promised path. See, God did not do everything he did in Christ to just save you and say, all right, you're good, you handle the rest of it. He did everything he did in Christ to save you, to let you know you couldn't do it, and you need his strength day by day. And that's why he can give us words like this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, when I read that first part, that sounds impossible. That tells me that I am to continue on in my Christian life without any wavering. Without any doubt, in other words. Without any lack of trust in God. 
And if that's all it said, that would be a difficult road to hoe, wouldn't it? But look at that last part of that verse. On the basis of what? Hold fast your confession without wavering on the basis of what? For he is faithful that promise. He is faithful that promised. Believers, what has he promised you? Has he promised you an easy life? Has he promised you a full and abundant life? Has he promised you something better than what you'll ever face in this world? Your best day is nothing compared to if there was a worse day in heaven. But there's not even a worse day, is there? A future hope. All of this is written to remind us that we have a friend who walks with us day by day. Have you really thought about Jesus as your friend? He calls the disciples friends in the Gospels. A friend. Now I know there's some people, everybody's their friend, right? They talk about their friend here and their friend there, and it may be true. I was talking with Steve and Sarah last week about, um, about this. Then, there, then there's other people who, when they talk about a friend... They're talking about a friend. Somebody who's loyal. Somebody who never leaves. Somebody who backs you in the bad and the good. Someone who confronts you, cares about you when you're wrong. And I love how Samuel Crossman uh, wrote this song, My Song is Love Unknown, where he refers to Jesus as his friend. And he talks about the things that, the, that sin has done to Jesus. Yet... He doesn't understand how sinners could assault the Lord Jesus when Jesus is his friend. And verse 2 of his song, My my song is love unknown, which is on the back of your bulletin. We'll try it in a minute here. He says, He came from his blessed throne, salvation to be self, but men made strange, and none the long for Christ would know. But oh, my friend... My friend indeed, who at my knee his life did spend. In the last verse. Here might I stay and sing, no story so divine. Never was love, dear king, never was grief like thine. This is my friend, in whose sweet praise I all my days could gladly spend. Do you walk with Jesus as you do, a friend? Are you soaking in His words continually? Are you corresponding with Him, speaking to Him yourself? You're all here this morning, so you're getting another aspect of being united in Jesus as your friend. Assembling, that's part of the next passage, right? Assembling together as believers. Do you just walk with Him in the morning when you have your devotions? Are you walking with Him throughout the day as your friend? Is He really on your mind as your friend? Are you even there at the Bible intake part on a regular basis? Are you thinking about how this 
turns my heart to Jesus as you're reading your Bible. Even in the hard passages like Leviticus. That's the whole point of Hebrews, isn't it? Hebrews says, this is why we need Jesus, because of this. In contrast to that. Is Jesus really your friend? Is he your beloved? Let's pray.